Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. With those words in verse 25, oppose themselves. Like Moses, who realized that the people could be freed by force from the Egyptians. That could be done for them. But just like Moses, we realize that the enslaver of the lost, the devil, has been defeated for the lost at the cross. He has been defeated at the cross for the benefit of the lost. That has happened. But like Moses, who realized that the Jewish people were enslaved to another destroyer, an internal destroyer of their own hatred, just like Moses, we realize that the lost are enslaved to another destroyer, their own internal destroyer of their own pride and hatred of the Lord Jesus Christ. And like Moses, who realized that he could not free the Jewish people from their own internal destroyer of hatred, just like Moses, we realize that although the devil has been destroyed at the cross, we cannot free the lost from their own internal destroyer of their pride and their hatred of the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice in verse 24, 2 Timothy 2, how the verse says, the servant of the Lord must. So like Moses, who realized that if the Jewish people were going to be delivered from their own internal destroyer of hatred, that Moses must change, that Moses must become something, that Moses must change himself into something for the Jewish people. And just like Moses, we realize that if the lost are going to be delivered from their own pride and from their own hatred of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must become something. We must change ourselves into something for the lost. And notice how verses 24 and 25 of 2 Timothy 2 say, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, and meekness instructing. So like Moses, who realized that if the Jewish people are gonna be delivered from their own internal hatred, then Moses must become this non-combative, humble, gentle, reasoning, patient teacher and instructor and leader of the Jewish people to repentance. And just like Moses, the same for us. We must become that same non-combative, humble, gentle, reasoning, patient teacher, instructor, and leader of the lost to repentance. Now, notice those important words when it says in verse 26 of 2 Timothy 2 that we want to see them recover themselves, recover themselves. Like Moses, who realized that he was absolutely helpless Ultimately, Moses was helpless to recover the Jewish people from their own internal destroyer. 
And so just like Moses, who realized that, the, that the, ultimately the Jewish people had to themselves recover themselves from their own internal destroyer of hatred. And like Moses, who did all he could by becoming that non-combative, humble, gentle, reasoning, patient teacher and instructor and leader of the Jewish people to repentance, but then finally Moses realized that he had to back off and he had to leave the decision to them as to whether or not they would recover themselves from their own hatred. Just like Moses, we realize that we are ultimately absolutely helpless to recover the lost from their own internal hatred and prejudice against the Lord Jesus Christ. And just like Moses, we realize that ultimately the lost themselves, they have to recover themselves from their own internal hatred and prejudice against the Lord Jesus Christ. And just like Moses, we do all we can by becoming that non-combative, humble, gentle, reasoning, patient teacher, instructor, leader of the lost to repentance. But then finally, just like Moses, we have to back off and leave the decision to the lost as to whether or not the lost will recover themselves from their own hatred and prejudice against the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice in verse 13 of Exodus 2, it says that he said to him that did the wrong. Moses then addressed the one of the Hebrews, and it says he said to him that did the wrong. To see what Moses was thinking when he did this, we have to turn, please, to a very important passage about this very, very portion here of Scripture in Exodus 2. Turn to Acts chapter 7, verse 24 through 26. Acts 7, 24 through 26. And there it speaks about or gives a comment about what's happening here in our passage. And it says here, Stephen is saying, and seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove and would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, ye are brethren. Why do you wrong one to another? So we see here an insight, more insight into where Moses was thinking. And we see Moses here as the great man of vision. The great man of vision. Here, he has a great vision for the Jewish people. Moses envisions the Jewish people in a state of unity, in a state of echadness, in a state of being together. And he wants to see in the Jewish people, what's spoken of in Psalm 133.1, where it says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. What Moses wanted to see for the people should be our goal, to see brethren dwell together in unity. Moses was trying to bring about a reconciliation among his brethren, and the greatest enemy to reconciliation, the greatest separator is P-R-I-D-E, pride. This is so clearly addressed by the Lord Jesus Christ in what was recorded in Luke 9, 46 through 48. Please turn, Luke 9, 46 through 48. And there it read, read this. Then there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be greatest? And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child and set him by him and said unto them, whosoever shall receive this child 
in my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. Now here's the question, and the question was among them, who was the greatest? Who was the greatest? It's always the goal of pride, to be the greatest, to be on the top, to be number one. And you can just see the heads of these disciples there becoming more and more inflated like balloons. And notice how the Lord comes into the group and he just pops those balloons. First of all, when he comes into the group, all talk stops. Such an important issue, he needed to bring it out to the open. And so it says here, and Jesus perceiving the thought of their heart, that's sobering, to realize that the Lord always perceives the thought of the heart. He perceives the thought of the heart because that's the place in the heart where pride germinates and takes root. It's the thoughts of the heart. And he saw those evil, proud thoughts like weeds getting a foothold in the heart and weeds that he needed to dig up. And so what did he do? He takes the weed digger in his hand and goes to work with what he's about to do here to unearth and get out, cast out the weeds of pride. So what does he do? Masterfully, he takes a child. And he takes a child. It says he put the child by him. My guess, he put the child on his right side in the favored position of being at his right hand. And then he said that the child represented him and that whoever received the child in his name that the person received the Lord Jesus Christ. He said that if a person loves children and a person thinks of himself as small as children do and thinks of others as bigger than them and those that have more knowledge and more wisdom than they do as children do and thinks of himself and thinks of himself as the learner and thinks of others as the teacher, and thinks of himself as one who needs to learn, as children do, and thinks of himself as needing help from others, as children do, and thinks of himself as dependent, is ultimately dependent on God, as children do. If a person thinks of himself like that, then he thinks of himself as the least among them, and then the Lord Jesus Christ, he has become the great in God's eyes. Now, back in Exodus 2, in verse 13, Moses says, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? So here we see Moses as the great reasoner. He's a great reasoner here. In his position, as we've seen, as the non-combative, humble, gentle, reasoning, patient, teacher and instructor, and as his position is trying to lead them gently to repentance, Moses reasons with them, and he asks the question, he asks them a question so that they'll think, and he says, wherefore, question mark. And we see him here trying to reason with the person by asking a question. We freeze that scene, we freeze that picture of Moses in our minds, of him reasoning with questions, and we see a picture of God. We see a picture of what God does as he reasons with his lost Jewish people. We see this in Isaiah 118, where he says to his lost Jewish people, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Just like Moses, the Lord Jesus Christ here, is reaching out his hand. He reaches out his hand, reaches out his hand, which is a hand of reason, but he first starts off with a hand of invitation when he says, come now, 
come now. He uses the word now, not just come, but come now. He was saying, don't put this off coming to God. He was saying, don't put off coming to God to a time when you feel like it. Don't put off coming to God for a time when you feel religious. Don't put off coming to God after you've had all your sinful fun in the world. Don't put off coming to God for another time because he says, come now. Come now, not later, but come now. Those words of come now show that there's no coming to God unless it's coming now to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he meant when he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's no coming to God from a great distance. As we remember the prodigal son who ran into his father's arms and he confessed his sin. And so God says, come now to indicate that this is the time to run into God's arms for mercy and forgiveness of sin. And then the Lord says, let us reason together. Just like Moses, God wants to reason with man. So he asks a question. And it also says that about the prodigal son, this idea of reasoning that before he returned to the father, it says, uses these words in Luke 15, 17, he came to himself. It says that. He came to himself. In other words, he reasoned with himself. And he asked the question, how many servants have enough to eat and I don't have enough to eat? So he's reasoning. He's coming to himself. And God wants man to come to himself. God wants man to reason with himself, with God. And God wants man to reason like this as if waging a war against God, the reasoning would be, do you really think you can win that war against God? That's the kind of thinking that God wants man to come to. God wants to reason with man as God puts on the table. He puts on the table as offered to man, puts it on the table, then he pushes it across the table to man and say, what do you think? And that's what Isaiah 118 is all about, is he says, what do you think? Your sins are as scarlet, they can be as white as snow, and he pushes it across the table as an offer. And he's offering total forgiveness for sins, total removal of man's sins. God's offer, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. How's that possible? We know it's possible because God became a man, the Lord Jesus Christ, and died for man's sins, and his blood paid for it. So therefore, he's so happy, and it's almost as if you can see God saying, I'm so happy to put this offer on the table and push it over to you, that though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. So just like Moses, God asks a question to evoke reason. Turn, if you would, to Ezekiel 18, 30 through 31. Ezekiel 18, 30 through 31 says, therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away all your transgressions, wherefore, whereby ye have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? Here we see the Lord Jesus Christ addressing them as Jehovah. He was a Jehovah Jesus addressing the Jewish people about their greatest problem. Their greatest problem of the Jewish people is not their enemies. The greatest problem of the Jewish people is their iniquities and their transgressions. And so he has these words, repent. Turn yourselves from all your transgressions. God was showing them the way of salvation, which is to label their sin what it is. Call it sin. Hate it and want to turn from it. And then with his words, 
So iniquity shall not be your ruin. The Lord was showing them that to die in their sins and to be cast into hell was an absolutely unnecessary disaster. It was an absolutely unnecessary catastrophe. Instead of using the word holocaust, Israelis use the word shoah and to describe the holocaust. And the word shoah means disaster or catastrophe. And here the Lord is saying that a person dying in their sins and being cast into hell because of their sins for their ultimate shoah, their ultimate catastrophe, is totally not necessary because he says, iniquity shall not be your ruin. Do you have iniquity? Yes, they had iniquity. But he said, I don't want iniquity to be your ruin. And all any person today has to do to, for iniquity to not be their ruin is to make a new heart, to make a new spirit, which is what he calls for. That means take that old heart, take that old spirit of hatred and prejudice against the Lord Jesus Christ and take that spirit and that heart that says, I'd rather go to hell than to believe in Jesus, and cast that spirit and that heart away as ultimate sins, as it says in verse 31, cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby you have transgressed and make you a new heart and a new spirit. Then just like Moses, who asked the question, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow, God asked the ultimate question, why will ye die, O house of Israel? God, the great reasoner here, is saying, go ahead, make a list of every reason of why you should not come, O Jewish person, to the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to die and be in hell forever. God's saying, go ahead, make your list against me. God, the ultimate reasoner, says in Micah 6.3, Micah 6.3, oh, my people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. God says that. God calls on the Jewish people, testify, stand up as in a court, and logically and with reason and clarity, make your case against me. Testify against me. And the Lord Jesus Christ here, Jehovah Jesus, is pleading with his Jewish people with the question designed to evoke reason. Oh, my people, oh, Jewish people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? Where how have I worn you out? Then the Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate reasoner, gives the challenge, like laying a, throwing a sword on the ground to the Jewish people, and he says, testify against me. He's saying to the Jewish people, to them, make your list. Put down all the reasons for why you will not come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Make the list. Make it complete. God says, let's see what it looks like. What's on your list? What could be the first item on your list? Number one. The Crusaders killed the Jews. Well, the Crusaders were the Crusaders. And what did they have to do with the Lord Jesus Christ? They said they were killing the Jews for the Lord Jesus Christ. The Crusaders said what they said. But the Lord Jesus Christ never said that. In other words, he's saying, think, reason, because emotion is the enemy of reason. Next on the list, the Inquisition of Spain killed the Jews. Well, the Inquisitioners were the Inquisitioners. What did they have to do with the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, they said they were killing the Jews for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the Inquisitioners said what they said, but the Lord Jesus Christ never said that. In other words, think, reason, because emotion is the enemy of reason. Number three, the Nazis killed the Jews. 
Well, the Nazis were the Nazis. What did they have to do with the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, they said they were killing Jews and that they were Christians. The Nazis said what they said, but the Lord Jesus Christ didn't say that. So he's saying think, reason, because emotion is the enemy of reason. Number four, I knew a Christian, and he didn't give me what I needed when I needed it. Well, that Christian is that Christian. What does that Christian have to do with the Lord Jesus Christ? Think, reason, because emotion is the enemy of reason. Next, if I come to the Lord Jesus Christ, I will give up what I enjoy and what I want to get in life. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ asked a sobering question, a question designed to evoke thought, a question designed to make a person think and reason when he said in Mark 8, 36 through 37, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? In other words, he's saying think, reason, because emotion is the enemy of reason. Next, my mother and my father made me promise to never turn to Jesus. My Jewish mother, my Jewish father made me promise to never turn to Jesus. Well, your mother and your father are your mother and your father, and they made their decisions. And since when does one person, even a mother or a father, make a decision for another grown person? You have to make your own decision. We have to make our own decisions. Why can't we reason and make a decision based on reason? Because thinking and reason and emotion is the enemy of reason. Well, next one. The Jews don't believe in Christ. Well, most Jews don't, but some do. And why can't, why can't each person reason and make his own decision without just following the herd? Think, reason, emotion is the enemy of reason. I have always been taught when a Jew accepts Christ, he's no longer a Jew, and I want to remain a Jew. Well, ask the question rationally, reasonably. Can you define what a Jew is? Is your definition of a Jew universally accepted by all Jews? Is your definition of a Jew really coming down to a Jew is a person who is not a Christian? Think, reason, because emotion is the enemy of reason. What about the Lord Jesus Christ who came as promised in the scriptures? What about the Lord Jesus Christ who stood up and defended the Jewish people and even took that title for himself, the King of the Jews, as he died for the Jewish people? What about the Lord Jesus Christ who healed many Jewish people? What about the Lord Jesus Christ who gave hope and eternal life to many Jewish people? What about the Lord Jesus Christ who changed many Gentile hearts to love and stand with and for the Jewish people? And what about the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the most famous Jew known around the world and brought a good name to the Jewish people, to many around the world? Well, Moses knew that this Jewish person fighting with his fellow Jew would only stop, he would only stop fighting if Moses was successful to make him stop with his emotion and start with his reason. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, in the same way, knows that Lost Jewish people, any lost person, will only stop with their rejection of him, their emotional rejection of him, if he can make them or if he can bring them to stop with their emotion and start with their reason. And just as Moses asked the person in the heat of his emotion to think and to reason and to realize that emotion is the enemy of reason, so God 
ask the lost to set aside emotion and think and reason and ask the question, why don't I come to the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, that'll be as far as we go today in our study. In our next study, we'll look at verse 14, which is the response of the Jewish people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for recording these truths in Exodus and then for giving us further comments in the book of Acts and other places, Lord. And we pray that you would help us to absorb and, Lord, to incorporate into our lives what we learn from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 